You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast 141 with Tim Robertson and David Cohen. This is going to be a little bit longer of an episode. Here's the thing. David and I um, recorded a regular tech fan, but as we were going along, he was having a lot of microphone issues. And we eventually started talking about an interview that we did, or that I did with Chad Perry, uh, with uh, Dr. Gil Emilio, ex-CEO of Apple. So at the end of this episode, we're going to play that interview. It's from 2006. Enjoy. Tech fan number 141. I'm Tim Robertson, and as always, Mr. Magoo. <laughs> uh, as sometimes. Do you, know who, do you know who Mr. Magoo was? Oh, yeah. Do you think I was born in a box or something? Well, you know, it was. It might not have been on your, you know. Yeah. I am, uh, I am Mr. Magoo at the moment. You are mm-hmm. absolutely right. Um, I, I was trying see. to make light of a very serious situation. <laughs> So where's the where's my bionic eyes for God's sake? Go. But it did get me thinking. Go ahead. Let's 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 so, fill the listener so the, in. The situation I'm in. I'm on a as a result of my accident I had at the beginning of at the beginning of this year and other medical problems that I have. I'm on a variety, a cocktail if you like of drugs, uh, and uh, I'm I believe that one of these drugs has uh, exhibited a side effect that apparently it can do. Which is it can make your vision go blurred, because this is what happened to me. I have the last four or five weeks, so my vision has gone completely blurred to the point that this morning I put on a pair of glasses that a short-sighted colleague of mine wears, and I went, oh, can I keep these? Because I can see again now. So effectively, this drug has made has taken my 2020 vision all better and has made it um, to the point that I need to wear glasses again. That's kind of scary, man. Well, it, it just goes to show that, you know, when you go to see the doctor and they prescribe you medication, yeah, they don't really know what it's going to do. I mean, they know what it does in 90% of the people who take the medication, that it fixes the problem that you go and see the doctor about. But there's this kind of this 5 or 10% where it might do that, or it might not do that, or it might do that, but, you know, throw something else into the mix as well. And this is something I seem to have encountered. Um, my eyes have, have basically... I had laser surgery about 15 years ago, and since then I've had um, better than 20-20 vision. In fact, I had a, an eye test probably not more than about two and a half months ago where it came back. My vision was like 2012, so that means that I can see. I could see at 12 feet what an average person could see. As sorry, I could see at 20 feet what an average person could see at 12 feet. Mm-hmm. That's what that that thing means. So it means I had really good eyesight. And to suddenly wake up one morning and realize that that great eyesight you've always had or you've had for a very long time has seems to be a little bit worse. And then over the space of a very short period of time, it degrades to the point that um, I have walked past things I need to take with me because they're kind of in the blurred zone. I can't see them. Um, I walked past my car the other day in a car park. I didn't see it. Um, I went, took my son swimming last night, and from the viewing area of the swimming pool, I could not identify which one was him in the pool. That's basically how bad my vision has got. 
and wow. until I get until I get it corrected, which is going to need glasses, and that's happening next week. And I need to go and see my doctor to see whether this drug I'm on that I suspect has caused the problem can be changed to something else. Um, but even if I change it, I don't know whether my visions are going to come back. Um, you know, I'm kind of in this fog of blur, and yes, Mr. Magoo is pretty much what it's like. It's uh, it's bizarre. It is bizarre, but I think, again, it, these sorts of things just underscore that, you know, we kind of, we have a very practical, mechanical view of life that, you know, you go and see the doctors, they give you a pill, the pill makes it better, everything's good. But things are a lot more, um, they're a lot less clear cut than that. You well, know? it makes you stop and think, you know, the, the things that we take that you don't go to a doctor for, these supplements and, you know, um, <clears throat> The, the little pills that I take, for instance. I take three pills every morning, David. I've actually got them right here on my desk. One is a uh, Essentials Formula Multivitamin. So that's a supplement. Mm-hmm. The other is... Uh, I can't read the name here. It's too dark in this room. But it's it's basically uh, Prilosec. You know, mm-hmm. for acid indigestion. And the other one is an allergy relief pill. It's a 24-hour one. And I don't think anything about them. I take them every day, right? Yeah. Well, are you supposed to take all three at the same time? Do they have any kind of adverse effect in you that could accumulate over time? What about the other pills that I take? I get a headache. I take a couple aspirin. Am I supposed to make aspirin with these three other pills? What's the, you know, the chemical compound, the makeup of these pills? And should they react to aspirin or ibuprofen or, you know? It, it, yeah. it does make you stop and think, especially when you know someone like I do now who's going blind from a doctor prescribed medication. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, you it goes to statistics as well. You look at the statistics for this drug and four to five percent of people experience this problem I'm having. So I, I assume and that you've done the research now. I've done some research on it. Um, I've not had this confirmed by the doctor, but uh, as far as I'm, I've had my eyes checked. I went as soon as I realised this was becoming a problem, and it wasn't just a an eye infection or dry eyes or something like that. I went to the eye hospital. We have a dedicated eye hospital here in Manchester, and I went up there and I went to the walking clinic and I told them what happened, and I said, you know, I really need my eyes checking out because I'm kind of freaked out by this. Now, I have diabetes as well, so I'm well aware that diabetes can affect your eyesight. Yep. So that was what I was particularly concerned about, but the fact that I was having something called retinopathy, which is when the, uh, the, blood, the blood circulation to your retina starts to degrade from diabetes, and that can, that can cause blindness in the central area of your eyes. So I was, I was very worried about that. So they did a full workup of my eyes. They did scans. They did examinations. I had about four or five different examinations by different doctors. I had two photographs taken the back of my eye. Um, I then came back and had another test that tested my peripheral vision to make sure that there was nothing neurological going on. And all of that came back clear. As far as they're concerned, my eyes are completely and utterly healthy. So there's nothing physical going wrong. It's mental. So then, so then, it, the, well, then it's a case of well, what could cause this, you know? So I start looking around. The first thing I thought about is the medication I'm on. So I start looking through the, the sheets for my medication, and sure enough, I find that 5% of people who take this particular drug get blurred vision. Now, the problem is, is that, is that you, you, I'm sure you've experienced this yourself. If somebody says, oh, this will happen with 95% certainty, most people take 95% as being equivalent of 100%. Yep. 
Yeah. Yes. You know, it's like that five percent. Well, that's not me. Five percent is actually quite a big number. <laughs> it is, but you know, <laughs> everyone assumes that they're going to be in the other percentage. You know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so so there it is. So um, I'm I appear to be in the five percent. I'm going to talk to my doctor about this, but my first response to this is going to say, "Can you change this particular drug for a, a different medication?" So this, this drug, this drug I'm on, it was actually something that I was already take. I was already taking something like this, and when I had my accident and and I had the back pain from the accident, the doctor suggested to me that I switch to this drug because, as well as doing what it's meant to do, it also has a muscle relaxant effect that can help back pain. Yeah. So my so, question so, is, in your yeah. research, did you find that uh, discontinuing that drug, <laughs> the drug use, uh, alleviates the problem? Well, unfortunately, the studies on that are not as clear as the studies that find that people had the problem. I gotcha. So it's not, I haven't been able to find any stats that, that examine how many people had their eyesight resolve after stopping the drug. As not hmm. Now, the, the drug has a muscle relaxant effect. I'm kind of, you know, inferring myself that perhaps it can have affected the muscles of my eyes, which might cause blurriness. Sure. But perhaps once that effect goes away... Um, then um, you know, then then maybe the the eyes will improve. But at this point, I just know, don't know. And the point is, is from when you're in this position, actually, you don't care. I I really, if my eyes stayed like this forever, I wouldn't care, as long as there was an option to treat them and glasses or lenses or whatever we could treat them. I, what I just don't want to do is for it to get any worse. Yeah. Because obviously, if it keeps getting worse, and eventually I won't be able to see anything, glasses or not. Yeah, you can't have a degenerative yeah. problem. It's, but muscle relaxants, you got to be very careful with that too, because that can lead to heart attacks. And yeah. The biggest muscle in your body is your heart. Yeah. And uh, a lot of uh, studies have shown, especially with professional athletes who, you know, really do abuse their body, they take a lot of muscle relaxants, and they saw a huge up increase in. Uh, and heart attacks in those yeah. people, and it was directly attributed to muscle relaxant. So, I wish you well, man. Well, I'm as I say, I'm sure it'll be fine. In that, you know, they'll stick some glasses on me, and uh, I'll be able to see. And that's that's the short term problem. So um, that's the podcast this week. Thanks for no. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, had, I, I I just it just goes. I mean, not so. It did get me thinking about how often we do see the world in black and white. And, and you know, in the tech industry, you get a lot of this as well. You get a lot of weird problems with tech gadgets, um, with software, with that sort of thing that can't always be replicated uh, and only hit a certain number of people. Um, and um, those people are obviously pretty annoyed about those things, but at the same time, the manufacturer doesn't really care because statistically speaking, there's not enough of a... A sample to prove that there's a problem that's worth makes it worth well, you know, looking at it. Working for a company that sees uh, broken machines, whether it's a physical or a software, it, it's exactly right. You know, somebody yeah. will come in with a, you know, a two-week-old machine and the the screen is flickering. You know, it's one of those things. It's uh, it's a rarity, and we always get the same questions: How often do you see this? Well, not very often. Um, but if you compared it to how many people bought the same machine, it's almost never. Yeah. But you're the almost part. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the point, isn't it? It doesn't help you if you're the guy having that's a problem, right. even if it's very, very rare. 
um, the point is you, you still hope that you're going to find a, a solution to it. So I had something happen to me yesterday. Um, you could pump, you pump your own gas there and, in, in, oh yeah. Okay. Well, we we all do. We don't have gas service like you have in the states. Here. Well, we don't have that here anymore either. That's there's a couple states that it's still mandatory that someone has to pump your gas for you, which I yeah. find bizarre because that I've never had anybody. I've never been to a gas station where they came out and pumped my gas like in those old '50s commercials where they'd wash your yeah. window and pump your gas and check your tires and check your oil and I mean, wish I wish they did. That would be awesome, but. Yeah, that doesn't exist anymore really here. So I was pumping my gas. Now, do they have the automatic things where you, you squeeze the handle and you push that little thing down and it just keeps pumping? You can like they, go? They've always disabled them on the pumps here for some reason. Well. So we don't have them. Right. There's a few states in the, here in the U.S. that they don't have those either. But the two states that I spend the most, well, the three states I spend the most time in, Michigan, Indiana, and Illinois, they all have those. And I use it every time I'm pumping my gas. You know, I, I put the thing in, I set the little thing, and it just pours the gas until it clicks. That means it's done. I pull yeah. out the thing, and good to go. Getting gas yesterday, put it in, filling it up, standing right next to the pump, right next to the car, just kind of watching the numbers quickly tick upward. Yeah. And an explosion of gas comes flying out of my car. Wow. The little automatic thing that turns it off was broken. Never had that happen. I've never even thought about it before. Maybe as a passing thought as I'm pumping gas once or twice. Oh, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if it actually filled up and it didn't have that automatic stop thing. Yeah, because you, you can't... I've always assumed that that is a, it's like kind of some kind of physical mechanical it is. device. It's just it is. not... Yeah, so it's it not... It feels resistance because it's towards the top and it just, you know, disables it, turns it off. Well, it was it was broken. And... uh Wow, that was, uh, I was a little tired, you know, because I didn't sleep yeah. very well the night before and I'm getting ready to drive for three and a half hours. That'll wake you up when gasoline comes shooting out of your car like that. that that's an eye opener in the morning. You're like, bah! <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and you don't want your immediate response is to reach in and turn it off, right? Pull the little, you know, you squeeze yeah. a handle and it releases the little thing and it stops. Well, you don't want to do that because gas is pouring out of there, and I don't care how good you I, wash I your hands. I presume it wasn't pouring. It, I no, guess it, it was spraying. It was spraying, yeah. but it was it was a fountain. <laughs> yeah, because because obviously you've got the full pressure of the hose running at full tilt, right? Which is designed to fill a tank. Yes, but actually, all the gas that's coming out has been constricted by the filler pipe. Yep. So it's must have been spraying like it's, a hose out. It's, of yes, it's kind of like putting your thumb over the the end of a garden yeah. hose and then holding it upside down. That was basically what it was like. But there was I couldn't figure out any way to stop it. So what was the attendant not paying any attention? The guy sat inside the gas station. Was he not? Well, aware this is a pretty this, big gas station. There's like eight pumps. So no, they're not. They don't pay attention. And uh, you know, there, I saw no other recourse. But I had to reach in and pull it out and turn it off that way. So, of course, my hand, uh, oh, for the good majority of the day, smelled like gas. I don't care how much you wash your hand, you're not going to get that petroleum smell off your hand. Just that stinky gas smell. Now, you're a smoker. Mm-hmm. It, so, it made lighting my cigarettes a lot easier, I can tell you that. I was, <laughs> was going to say, if I, I were purposely in that position was, and I, I regularly use uh, a, a, a source of ignition, I might think about 
perhaps going cold turkey for a day or so. Well, what I did do is I usually light my uh, my cigarette with my right hand. I was I was using my left hand <laughs> for a long time. Every time I would pull the lighter out with my right, I'd go, eh, let me switch hands here. But yeah, that so that happened yesterday. That was, wow. uh, you know, obviously nothing as serious as what you're going through, but it's just a, a little nugget of time, weird little so things you, that happen. Did you get charged for the gas that went all over the floor? Oh, it was maybe uh, an eighth of a gallon, if that. I mean, you sure? Well, sure I would have asked for a free tank just for just for that. It's I'm a like, gas station I go to. I, they know me by name. I know them. Yeah. It's yeah. It's just one of those things. I'm not. I'm not going to be one of those guys. But you, were you the first guy this had happened to? Ever? There's nothing worse than when no, it's nothing. No, worse I than actually talked to the something's owner. Something's busted, and right. you go inside. No, and no, go, and they go, "Oh yeah, that happened to three more people this morning." No, and no, you just want nothing to like him. that. No, I, I when I walked in and I went to use the bathroom, I actually saw the owner. Um, he's usually there in the mornings, and um, I tell him what happened, and he asked if I was on high or low. In other words, there's two little stops on the yeah. automatic thing, and I was on high. I guess there's actually two stops in there, so. You know, if you're on low, one thing kicks in. If you're on high, the other thing kicks in. I imagine that the one on high is more sensitive because it's coming out so much faster. And I told him what, you know, no, it was a high one. He goes, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to go out there and replace the uh, nozzle. So I said, it happened often. He goes, eh, maybe six times a year. So it's, it's pretty rare. I mean, how many yeah. people fill up there? Probably, I don't know, 1,500 cars a day. So, yeah, I don't know. And he has to fix it six times a year. Statistically, that's nothing. Yeah. But you know, I was one of those six this time. <laughs> never, it's never happened to me before. I don't know anybody that it has happened to. So yeah, no, no I've weird. never never come across that myself. But it wakes you up. But on the topics of things that you kind of happen to you and you you're unsure about. Yeah. You know, is this real? Is this, you know, have I figured this out properly? Is this something I've done or is this something somebody else has done or is it just one of those things? I've had something that's been kind of bugging me for a few weeks. I keep meaning to mention it to you. And, and the conversation we had this morning just kind of reminded me about it. So, on my iPhone, I frequently get notifications from apps that I am. 100% sure I said don't give me any notifications. I, I've seen that no, myself. That you, oh, absolutely, I have. I've seen it less now with iOS 7. I used to see it with iOS 6 quite a bit. But that being said, there is still a few apps, not on my iPhone, to be honest, but I've seen it on my iPad where, oh, your giraffe is hungry. Go feed it. Yeah, exactly. It's the most egregious, annoying use of notifications. Right, and I immediately like, go into oh, the notification center and, yeah. and look for it. And if it is turned off, I just delete the game at that point. I don't care yeah. how much the kids are enjoying it. I, I'm not going to have this device popping up with these. I consider them illegal notifications. That's what yeah, I, I exactly. consider them as. Because you know that you've put don't allow when you install the game. Absolutely. So there should be no notifications. And if then after three weeks, you get a pop-up that says, Oh, we've noticed you haven't played Tickle My Fancy in the last two days. Did you know we've got great loads of great new content? And you just go, really? Are you kidding me? Yeah, delete. You know, because, I yeah, I, 
I'm not such a sucker that I fall for the oh, allow notifications every time one of the freemium crapware, whatever they are, games come on. And it's like, I, and I look at it, and you do do a double take. You think, well, you know, how is it possible I pressed the wrong button? Is it po And you, then you go into into um, notifications, and yeah, there it is. And you think, I am really, really sure that I never accept notifications from an app so how did this get in there and at that point you start thinking the conspiracy theories of oh maybe they're gaming the system maybe they found a way to ignore what you say or maybe they put I, a lower I, level I wonder, notifications yeah, in yeah. there's something going on because I've seen it and I, it's clearly turned off I've gone into my settings it's not there so, so how is it popping these things up they found a workaround they found a little hole and uh, it's very annoying. And I, I, I like to believe that Apple finds these things and disables them, but yeah, I don't know. It's always the same apps, too. And it's always these apps that were free to download yeah. that has, you know, the in-app purchases that's egregious. Yeah, it's, it's a freemium always those. Game. Yep. Yeah. Every time. Exactly. And it's and, never and, from, like, a major publisher. It's not like... Um, and it's always games, too. It's never Evernote or Dropbox <laughs> You know, it's it's not it's never telling you anything useful, right? It's never saying anything. You know what? I didn't want notifications, but I'm glad it told me that. Oh, they, that I have to feed that giraffe. What was I? What are my kids thinking? How irresponsible of them not to play this game to feed this virtual giraffe? <laughs> They've not fed the giraffe. They're not getting fed for dinner this evening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I. That'll learn them. Right. Okay. So, uh, so uh, I mean, all right. It's a, a very small sample size, but I've had that. I've had that theory corroborated. Yes. Anybody else who's who's had this with their iPhone or an iPad? Oh, I guarantee you, uh, the majority of people listening is like, yeah, I've seen that. It's and not the all is, the time, see, but it's it's no. it's just enough to be, um, you're conscious of it. It's the just the problem enough. is, yeah, there's no mechanism to report that to Apple. No. None. So, because in a perfect world, what you want to be able to do is say, "Hey, Apple, they're breaching your rules here," and then Apple just kick them out of the store. Right. Well, um, but but there's no way of that happening. No. In fact, it's worse now than it ever used to be. Um, there's a breakdown of communication between, and it's not just Apple. It's it's Android. It's it's all the it's OS ten. It's it's Windows. There's no way for us to provide feedback that we know is going to be read. Now, by the same token, how many people are using iOS? How many people are using Windows? I mean, there's no possible way they could ever read it all. But they could have a system where you, when you send feedback, it looks for keywords. It categorizes it. But uh, yes, Isn't it bizarre that we've never had more ways to communicate with people, and yet we're less able to communicate with with people we buy things from oh it's impossible i mean any any website you buy things uh, with one major noticeable uh example or uh, exemption there uh you go to their websites and there's just there's no way to contact them or you click and it's a form yeah you know oh, i hate that yeah when then they hide their address and their phone number mm -hmm. in case you might have the temerity to contact them using those methods so, yes, they, they've deliberately skewed. It's the only way you can do that is email them. Because we all know that everybody responds to an email straight away yep. whenever they get it. Drop everything and get straight back to you. They never, ever just pile that in a pile and then never get to it. Right. 
I mean, at Max Specialist when I got there, um, it, it and we changed the website. We went to WordPress, so I didn't have to have a a dedicated, you know, webmaster that I would send things to, and he would update it on, you know. He wasn't an employee, so when he got to it is when he got to it, which was not acceptable to me on any level. So screw yeah. it. We scrapped the whole thing, started from fresh with WordPress because I can update any aspect of the website immediately. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I immediately knew I wanted to change, I mean, if you go to Mac Specialist right now, David, you'll see, well, you might not see, but um, people will see. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not a person. Thank you. <laughs> um, a person will see. But not me. No, well, you're going blind. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, was amazed, I was amazed you didn't pick that up immediately. Um, I put our address, phone number, and email address. Physical address, you know, street address. Uh, phone number it's right at the top it's it's part of our logo it's right at the top of the screen i don't care what page you're on on our website there's our contact information our phone number our mailing address our physical location and an email address boom right there you can't miss it yeah because i want people to be able to reach out if they have a problem i don't want them to well do i click the locations page do i click the about us page where do i get their information to contact them right there at the top of the screen and to me that's the way it should be but we were talking about apps that just not good right yeah uh i've been playing this i I was i beat the whole game it it was a very simple game it was called um uh, here uh island tribe two And it's, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's a little resource game. It's, it's not difficult. You almost can't not win. I mean, I, I didn't, I never lost a guy. I never didn't complete my objectives. It was very simple, but it was kind of a time waster. Um, I don't know when I downloaded it or even why I downloaded it. It was probably, I know it was a free game cause I wouldn't have paid for it otherwise. And uh, I, you know, I put the kids to bed last night and waiting for them to fall asleep. I launched this on my iPad. Oh, what is this game? And I ended up playing the whole thing. It's 35, 40 levels. Just breezed right through it. No problem. Not in, not in one sitting. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm sorry. I put them to bed two nights, three nights ago. That's when I started. Otherwise, I would have finished the whole thing between last night and this morning. And that's, I can't do that. But I thought the game was fun, and I decided to see, oh, what else have they made? And this, if this is two, well, is there a one? And it, sure enough, there was a one, and uh, but it was two bucks, and I'm like, yeah, not really. It, it was okay to play, but it wasn't worth another two bucks to play more of it, more of the same. Yeah. But you know how they have the, the people who bought this also bought this? You know how they have that? That's right, yeah, the suggestive sell. I mm-hmm. think it's cool. And I came across this game, and it's free. Of course, it. I'm looking at the description, and it's got in-app purchases. Duh. Yeah. But I was looking at the name, and I thought, this is a scummy developer. Because if you look at the biggest games that are out there right now, there are certain keywords that some of these games have. This is the name of the scummy game. Tell me if tell me if you're trying to if you think they're trying to scam people. 
Assassin's War, Creed <laughs> of the Chaos Ninja Runner, Best Free Ultra Speed. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, my uh, yeah, that that's that's my my um my alarm for uh, shenanigans went off right there. <laughs> I mean, you managed to weave the whole name of another game into your game. Yes. Well, and, and, and they still, and he got runner in there, and yeah. uh, that cracked me up. I was just like, ugh, really? I mean, that's the kind of developer you, you just you take them up behind the woodshed, woodshed, and uh, spank their little butts. Naughty, naughty, naughty. Ah, <laughs> uh, what are you gonna do though, right? So let's take our uh, break here, and uh, Dave and I will be right back. Are you a movie fan, a film fan? Well, check out the International Film Club podcast right here on the Spotlight Network. Tim Chatton and Alex Barker dive into a different movie every time, ranging from classics to some of the newer stuff and sometimes some obscure stuff that you actually might enjoy. So check out the International Film Club podcast right here on the Spotlight Network. Back here, tech fan podcast, Tim Robertson, David Cohen. If you guys want to reach out to us, we'd appreciate it. Simply go to techfanpodcast.com. You can leave a comment right there on the show notes page. Uh, you could send us a, a voice message because when you go to that website, this little microphone thing pops up on the right-hand side. And uh, it will access your microphone, and you can send us a voice message. That's that's pretty cool. We don't, you know, I was talking to Guy Searle, David. And uh, Guy Searle, of course, is the host of the MyMac podcast. And uh, we were talking on the phone, and I said, you know, you get a lot of feedback. But he actively goes out there um, and really solicit, solicits people to send them feedback. And uh, it's a big part of their show. We don't really do that. No. Not, I mean, it's not a conscious thing like, ugh, we don't want to talk to people. It's We'd just... What? We'd love to talk to people, but... <laughs> well, it's because we don't actively pursue it either. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, if you want we that, say, yeah, give us feedback or we won't record a show next week. Right. We, we <laughs> And here's the other thing, though. Sometimes we do get feedback, but you and I get on a roll and it's not that we forget. It's just, you know, they have yeah. they have a very structured show. Yeah. And if there's one thing that tech fans not, it's structured. <laughs> Well, you were referring to the conversation we had at the beginning of the show before we start recording, Tim, where we said, what are we going to talk about this week? Yeah. And I you went, <laughs> I said, I suggested something. You went, no, we talked about that last week. Yeah. Yeah, you're like the video games. I was like, we just did a whole show on. <laughs> we did that, yeah. You're getting uh, crackly. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know if it's that USB adapter or, but yeah, it. Sound like you were messing with the microphone. It's going. I'm not messing with the microphone. It's getting bad. I'm rubbing my I saw the eyes. Oh, uh, maybe that's it. Maybe the podcasting is is what's got you. It's that. Uh, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's the podcast radiation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was listening. There's. A, I found a new podcast to listen to. Yeah. Um, called Industry Standard with Barry Katz, and he basically talks to entertainment people, but. Not so much uh, entertainers, but the people who run these entertainment companies. Right. So he'll, he'll talk to uh, the president of USA Networks or casting directors or editors. And I don't know why I'm very interested in that. Not so much the entertainment aspect, but the creation 
aspect, creating something, because that's kind of what I used to do. And uh, it, every time I listen to it, it makes me want to go out there and create content. And then I think, well, I, I do that every week. It's called the Tech Fan Podcast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's. I, I, it's interesting to see how the uh, the kind of the paid for content industry. Your mic's going it. bad, dude. Oh. It's just crackling and popping the whole time now. Okay, all right. I'm gonna um, try and fix it. All right. So we're gonna allow David a minute there to uh, work on his mic, and I'm going to continue. Because I'm a professional. <laughs> uh, it was fun. I was talking to, like I was just talking to David about a couple nights ago. Uh, Guy Searle called me up. He wanted to test out a new conference system that he's going to try to implement on the MyMac podcast. And uh, I wish him you know, all the best. And it's really a, more about getting more listener participation. I think that's cool. Uh, I used to do that uh, quite a bit at my Mac as well, and uh, had a lot of success. And we used to have contests, and basically when Chad Perry and I were doing that show, and I would call uh, the winners via Skype. I would call them on their cell phones or their home phones, and talk to them, and we'd record them right on the show. Are you there, David? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, that sounds much better. So you called them, but a lot of time they weren't in, as I recall. Yeah, they weren't in, but a lot of times they were, and we would talk about Max on the show, and I, I always really enjoyed it, and I wished uh, I would have continued to do that. I, it was it was really fun. Uh, I met a lot of very interesting people that way, and of course, we used to do a lot of interviews. The reason I bring this up is because Guy Searle and I were talking, and I was uh, testing this uh, system with him, and I said, well, you know, we talked about doing something special for the MyMac podcast next year because 2014 celebrates the 10-year anniversary of that show launching. It stuns me. It does me, too, because that means uh, I've been podcasting just shy of 10 years at this point. 10 years, yeah. I mean, to me, even though we do this every week, and, and obviously I've done several shows with you yep. and all of that, it, this still seems very new to me. <laughs> and certainly to people, when you talk to people who've never heard of podcasting, when you, you say what we do, they kind of go, oh, wow, I have no idea you could do that. Right. Yeah. You know, so it it's all seems still very fresh and new and not so mainstream and all of that. And yet, 10 years, wow. Yeah. Well, 10 years, it also marks the anniversary of podcasting in general. It was invented in 2004. That's right. And yeah. so I, because I, the MyMac show was one of the very first ones out there. Within months of podcasting being invented, MyMac was live. Did we lose you, David? No, I'm still here. Okay. Um, so I wanted to do something to kind of celebrate the 10 years of that show, even though I don't record that show anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think they've... It's a completely different show than what we used to do over there. Yeah. It's it's basically gone through three iterations of that show. Um, yeah. It was me and Chad... And then it was me, Chad, and other hosts. You were one of those hosts for a while, as was Guy Searle. Yeah. And then, very briefly, it was you and Guy, but, I mean, it was, what, maybe two or three months tops? Well, no, I think it was a bit longer. It was about six months, something yeah. like that. It um, wasn't very long, I know that. No, yeah. And then it was, uh, so I still, I kind of lumped that in with the other. 
And then it was Guy and Gaz, and, and they've been doing it for quite a long time now. Mm, definitely. And so what can we do to kind of celebrate that? Because I think that's something we're celebrating. I, I do. Now, yeah. we've been doing Tech Fan for over three years now. That I don't know if you realize that. I have no idea. Right? That also that also amazes me. Well, let me launch my web browser. Hopefully, GarageBand won't crash and we lose everything that we've recorded so far. That would kind of suck. Um, although I haven't had that problem in a long time, but then again, knock on wood, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, archives, select a month at, at techfanpodcast.com. The first month is September 2010. Wow. So, it's been over three years that we've been recording this show. That's... Uh, that's a long time. That's been emotional. Um, when did you come in? You didn't come in on the first one. Uh, didn't I? I was, Maybe you I, were. I thought I did. Oh, yes, you did. You were on the first did, one, but yeah. you weren't on yeah. the second one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. But, uh, and we've had some where it was just me, and we've had more that it was just you. You've done more solo shows than I've done solo shows on Tech Fan. Yeah. Which is kind of funny, because I've got a lot more experience on doing a solo show than you do. <laughs> Go figure, right? I, I think I think it's just uh, if there's any reason why we can't do the show planned, I I'm sometimes tend to be a bit more motivated to actually talk about something on my own. Yeah, and, I don't think it's uh, that. And, and I maybe, think it's... May, and may, maybe that's maybe that's because you have done so much solo stuff that you don't want to go back to that. Mm. No, I don't mind the solo show. I mean, I've I've done some. Um, what was it called? Track talk. That yeah. podcast that Mark Greentree started that. Somebody else is supposedly going to do, but really hasn't relaunched or anything yet. So I don't. I'm not yeah. quite sure what the future of that episode, of that uh, podcast is. But I did two of those episodes. One of them I did a review of uh, Def Leppard's Py- or Pyromania album, and yeah. I was going to do more album reviews where I played clips of the songs and talked about it. And then I did another song, another episode uh, where I kind of. Um, the top three songs of each decade starting in the 50s that that remind me of that decade. Not necessarily the top songs of that decade, because yeah. that would be very difficult. What do you go by? Your your own or the top char- top of the chart? I don't know. But just three songs for each decade that when I hear it, I think of that decade. It puts me there, even if I wasn't alive. Yeah. Because obviously the 50s and 60s, I wasn't. And uh, those are solo songs, and I, so I enjoyed those. So I could still do it. I... I you know, I'm a blowhard. I like to talk. But usually if I don't do the show with you, it's because of, you know, a kid was sick. Um, yeah. I was, you know, uh, work-related stuff. And that leaves just the weekend that I have to, you know, ask Julie to take the kids and leave for an hour and a half so I can record the show. And if it's bad weather or if it's really raining or, you know, those kind of things, I don't feel right asking. Thus, a show doesn't get recorded that week. Yeah. Irregardless, Guy, Guy Cyril and I were talking, and I said, you know what would be good is to have um, a couple shows that are kind of best-of shows. Like the first best-of show would go up to like episode 100, and the next one up, up to like episode 200 or so, or something like that. And so I actually put together the first best of show and uh, already sent it out to Guy and he's going to turn it into an actual podcast 
sometime in 2014. Cool. And uh, you're in there. You were in that first, within the first 100 episodes. Um, but it was that's really fun to be, do. Uh, that's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> no, you were really good. Um, no, you know, the, the only interview that I included, uh, and it's the longest segment of that show, is the interview we did with uh, Dr. Gil Emilio, ex-CEO yeah. of Apple. I still remember very clearly that episode. And I remember where I was when I was listening to it. Um, because I was kind of so blown away that you had him on, because it was like, no, no way. We'd, may, maybe perhaps I was naive about your uh, your reach in the Mac industry, but I thought to myself, no way would we ever get an ex-CEO of Apple on the podcast. <laughs> what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Nobody would ever have the time to do that. And he was, he was I think the thing is, because he, I mean, he, let's face it, this is a man who took a lot of crap when he was CEO. Absolutely. He's not, He's not lauded as the best ever CEO of no. Apple. No, and I thought I, and I've always thought unfairly as well. Yeah, the, well, the point is, is that that show was his opportunity, mm-hmm. and so very few do CEOs ever do this, where they talk about their tenure and they talk about the decisions they made and why they made them, and you listen to what he said, and everything he said made perfect sense. There was mm-hmm. no, like, you know, well, what, God, were you, were you, were you, you know, he was like this mayor in Toronto smoking crack every week and then right. going and making life-changing decisions. It was, it was clear that he spent a lot of time thinking about what he thought was the best for the business, and he consulted, and he uh, discussed, and he run numbers, and he basically said, well, well, this is what I think we should do. And, and unfortunately, sometimes those things don't play out. And sometimes they they do play out if you have more time, but he wasn't given the time. You know, yeah, um, but some but of the it, things yeah. that he made the decision on, and you'll hear it in the interview, yeah. is he was absolutely right. Yeah, And he absolutely. actually makes a predicting, prediction at the end of the interview, which I, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but it, I think it's something that's definitely worth listening to. And uh, unfortunately, the audio quality wasn't the best. I was literally holding up a flip um cell phone some old motorola one and i was just holding it up to the microphone and so <laughs> you know the audio quality isn't the best but you can clearly hear him i mean it, it's not so bad that it's, it's unlistenable you can hear him fine but it wasn't the the pristine audio quality hell we don't even have that right now you you keep crackling on us uh, <laughs> um but it was fun and we used yeah. to do that a lot on the MyMac podcast. We were much more involved than we've been here on TechFan. TechFan really has been, it, it's Tim and David talking about whatever subject strikes their fancy. Um, you know, the, and, the I, and I wonder if we should possibly address that. We could do. I, don't, I wouldn't, wouldn't be averse to that. I think the problem is, is that... Um, Your microphone? Well, apart from that... <laughs> uh, uh, the problem nowadays is that is that so many people, when they come on a podcast or something, they're promoting something, mm-hmm. and it's difficult. No, they always get... that that that's always the way it's been, David. Not just in podcasting and any kind of interview, yeah. but that's always been the case. It's it's up Sometimes, to the host to to take control of that interview and steer it where you want it to go. I was going to go because sometimes it's much more interesting to get past what they're plugging and actually ask them the questions that matter, the questions that people are interested in. Um, if you go back and listen to any of the interviews, and there was a, a lot of them. I'm not exaggerating here. There was a lot of interviews. I was kind of amazed when I went back and started looking at our history at, at MyMac, all the interviews that we used to do. 
I would challenge anybody to go back and find any interview that was just a, a PR interview. We just didn't do them. And it was a conscious effort on, on my end, on Chad's end, when you came in on your end, Guy's end. Um, they, that's not what they were about. We, I wanted to get to know the people behind the products because I think that's more interesting and I think that's what people want to hear about. So if I had a developer on who just released a new product, I'll talk about it a little bit. You know, I'm going to throw them a bone. Don't get me wrong. There's, that's why they want to do the interview because it's 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 public relations for them, right? Yeah. But I'm more interested, and I think they it, this took a lot of people aback. Is how they got into it. What what made you start writing software, or what made you start um, deciding that you wanted to build a Mac clone? You know, because we had that guy on that one time. With Gil Emilio, it's, you know, he, he had a new company, and he discusses that a little bit. I think I cut that out of the, because uh, I had to trim it down for the Best of Show. I didn't put the whole interview, but I put the majority of it. Um, you know, what's his agenda? He, he's, he's not promoting a new book. The book, at that point, was out for like three years. Yeah. You know? Um, but it's getting the story. It's getting... You know, how he got into everything, how he worked his way to where he was. I think sometimes the journey is more interesting than the final destination, especially in interviews. Yeah. Which leads me back to, we usually record this on a Friday morning for me, Friday afternoon for you. Should we start looking at possibly, and we, and I know we've talked about it before, but we just don't do it. Should we start looking at interviewing people? Because with my Mac, it was a very, it was Apple focused. You know, someone wrote this software for the Mac or this, you know, piece of whatever for the iPhone or, but with this show, it's, it's technology. It, it could yeah, be anything. It could be. And, and there's, there's, I think the other thing that we've got going for it now is that there's a much wider field of people who'd be interested in talking to us than they used to be. Yeah. I mean, back back when we were doing my Mac interviews, there was no Kickstarter. Yet every guy on Kickstarter is trying to he's trying to solve a problem in a new way. Right. Well, we did that interview just a couple months ago with a guy from Kickstarter, and you know he was at Atari at the beginning and all that. Well, yeah, but but what I'm saying is, is there's probably fifty, hundred people you could go on Kickstarter today who'd be very interested in talking about their thoughts of their solution to a particular problem and a lot of those are tech a lot of those are gadget type devices and each of those people must have a perspective on the tech industry in general yeah your mic's that going buggy too. again it doesn't matter i wasn't saying anything important <laughs> <laughs> it came through it's just it's yeah. it's it's staticky crunchy I, I i think this microphone's on the way out I yeah think I, yeah you know so we need a sponsor that sells microphones, is what you're saying? Well, no, I can buy a microphone. <laughs> probably going to be in Hong Kong next week, so I can probably buy a microphone. Well, bring your glasses so you don't get ripped off and end up buying uh, something that looks like a microphone, but it's not a microphone. You remember the last time I was there, I sent you that picture of the I do. computer. Yeah. Can you imagine what it'd be like to be in that place where you couldn't see more than three feet in front oh of you? Oh, my God. That'd be... <laughs> Surrounded by people speaking Chinese. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> Sign me up. 
So, David, we're going to make this a, a shorter show this week because uh, your your microphone problems. And uh, yeah, let's think about you know us coming up on uh, the anniversary at my Mac, uh, getting you know you and me get you know, Guy and Gaz and Chad Perry together to do a special episode. But it might be an, op- an opportunity to do something here on Tech Fan as well. And then I'd really like to hear from the listeners out there. Is interview something that you guys would like to hear on Tech Fan? Or do you listen yeah. to Tech Fan because it's just, I don't know, David and I rambling on about, you know, the topic of the day? I'd love to, uh, I'd love to get your feedback. My stomach's doing weird things. So I keep trying to swallow it down here. Really sick. Yeah, it's the the mixing of the weird chemicals. Take your tablet. Hope you don't go blind. <laughs> All right, David. I'll talk to you next week, man. All right. See. see. And since uh, <laughs> we didn't end the show right there, as you can see by the counter in your uh, podcast playing app, David, uh, we decided since we talked about it, why not just drop the interview that I edited a little bit um, that... If you also listen to my Mac, you'll eventually hear it over there as well. But why not drop it right here on this episode since we're going a little short anyways? Absolutely. Sounds like a plan to me. So what you're about to hear is an interview that Chad Perry, uh, my original co-host of the My Mac podcast, and I did with uh, Gil Emilio. And again, Gil Emilio was the ex-CEO of Apple. He's the guy who brought um, Steve Jobs back into the fold by... Apple buying Next Computer. And <laughs> ostensibly, Apple, or, uh, Steve Jobs displaced him as the CEO. So he brought Steve Jobs and his company into Apple. And then all the next people basically took over Apple. And, and Steve Jobs becomes CEO and fires Bill Emilio, or Gil Emilio, which was kind of weird. This interview actually happened February 22nd, 2006. So that kind of gives you a perspective on how long ago it was. This is this is not new by any stretch of the imagination. And again, it's Chad Perry and I. And uh, Chad kicks off the interview. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. And again, feedback. Go to techfanpodcast.com. Send us feedback there. You can also email me, tim at techfanpodcast.com. And David is? David at techfanpodcast.com. Cool. All right, David. Dr. Gil Emilio was the CEO of National Semiconductor, a company that had its worst loss in 30 years, but returned to record to record its greatest profit in just three years under Dr. Emilio's leadership. He's the holder or joint holder of 16 patents. It was Dr. Emilio who conceived the fabrication process for CCDs, the device used in all digital imaging technologies. He's also a member of the board of directors of the American Film Institute, but to most of our listeners, he's best known as the ex-CEO of Apple Computer and the man responsible for purchasing Next Computers and bringing back Steve Jobs to Apple. Uh, Dr. Gil Emilio, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. Uh, I'm happy to be with you. Um, obviously, a lot of our listeners are going to be uh, very interested in your history with Apple Computer. Um, you were known as a turnaround master for your... Uh, days at National Semiconductor, um, so I, I guess we should jump into a little bit of the Apple stuff, if you don't mind. No, oh, of course. Uh, let me see. You want to jump in, Chad? I'm trying to uh, 
hold the cell phone up at the same time and looking at notes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we've got a bunch uh, of. Let, let me just uh, let me just add one thing while you're checking your notes, and that is that I have been an Apple user from the founding of the company. I think uh, uh, I bought. I had to buy one of the early Apple IIs when they came out, and and I have been a Mac user ever since. So long before I became. Uh, CEO of Apple, I was I was already a Mac fanatic. Now you had said uh, in an interview shortly after you left Apple that uh, if there is one thing that could bring Apple back to its former glory, it's the next generation operating system, which you had started to work on with uh, the acquisition of Next. Um, has OS X developed into the kind of system that you had envisioned when you'd started on the new the new OS? Yeah, I, I, actually, you know, the architecture for System 10, which which we called uh, Rhapsody as our code name in those days when we were working on it, uh, today the way it operates is almost identical to the way we designed it. Uh, there are a few there are a few minor details that are different, but the uh, concept is is almost exactly like it was on my on my uh, whiteboard in my office, uh, and uh, so we're we're thrilled that it. Uh, worked out. Now, obviously, guys like Avi Tabanian and many others deserve huge amounts of credit for taking, you know, that simple architecture that we uh, that we conceived and making it real, but uh, uh, I am thrilled to be using it. Uh, what I think everyone would agree is the is the best uh, personal computer operating system in the world. You're not going to get an argument from either of us on that score. No. Um, obviously, Apple had had a internal next-generation operating system project in place called Copeland. That's right. But how did the management of the Copeland project, which started way before you became part of uh, the CEO of Apple, how did it get so out of control? Well, you know, you know I think these things seem to take a life under them, them themselves. And if you've got to look at part of the Apple culture that existed when I arrived there, and that and that was a very much, and, and there, had, there was good things about it, but there was also problems with it. It was very much a free spirit. So if you thought you had a good idea, you just go try it. You didn't worry about being bound by what your manager was telling you or what corporate, corporate focus was or, or things like that. And so uh, it was one of those wonderful engineering projects where there was virtually unlimited amounts of money available. And, of course, every day somebody walked in with a new idea, and therefore they had to try it. And so what you had was this enormous engineering project that wasn't converging. Uh, it was just engineering for engineering's sake, and at some point, uh, it was clear to me that we had made it so uh, uh, embellished it so much that there was no way we were going to get a practical operating system out of it. And I had to, I had to kill Copeland, and uh, and and salvage out of that. We salvaged what became System Eight, which was a a uh, hybrid between System Seven and critical pieces of Copeland. And that's how we got to System 8. Now, I think everyone agrees System 8 was an enormous leap forward over, over System 7. Absolutely. Yeah, just the multitasking alone. I mean, you could finally empty the trash and go about your business and doing other tasks at the same yeah, time. Exactly. <laughs> it, which, it, now looking back under OS 10, for a lot of our listeners obviously never used Mac OS 7, so they don't really understand what that means. But at the time, if you had a lot of items in your trash can and you emptied your trash, the computer would come to a grinding halt until it was done with that process. Mm. Same that, thing with copying files. That's right. Files. You can only do one task at a time. And that was true of all the early uh, early Macs. In fact, all, almost all, all the early operating systems until 
so we came along with the uh, the Copeland Finder, and the, the, the that was the most critical piece of Copeland that we used was we used the Finder, and that had the ability to, as you say, do a number of things that that, that better much better memory management, but it but it also was able to do multi-threading, and that was uh, that was a critical improvement. Uh, reading your book uh, on on the firing line, my 500 days at Apple, I remember a a part of the book in which you wrote orders given to subordinates were not taken as orders but as suggestions. Um, have you ever come across that kind of a mindset in any other company in your professional career? Well, not exactly. I would I would say that I was I was you know it was my attempt at humor there, but what <laughs> I, was, I was trying to just to say was that there was a culture there that was so free spirit that it was just what I, what you just said that 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 the way I had grown up in business was that when the boss said do something, that's what you went and did, uh, you know, at your peril, uh, ignoring it, but. But in terms of what we had at Apple, there the whole culture was based based around this this sort of being an outlaw, and I think I grew up over the early days when 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 Steve Jobs, who uh, was so critical to the to the future of the company, was was pretty much a free spirit. He was the guy who broke all the rules, and uh, and everyone else wanted to become the next Steve Jobs, so they thought the way to do that was to break every rule. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't run a company that way. And Not a successful uh, the first one. year uh, of my work there was trying to bring some discipline to the organization, which we ultimately did, and which I think is is is, is probably pretty characteristic of the company today. Uh, but it was a it was a very difficult year. What was the biggest management problem at Apple when you took over? Uh, well, I think in the beginning it was money. I mean, we were just out of money. Uh, the uh, the the company had built uh, enormous amounts of inventory of the Performa computers. And the Performa, if you recall, back in those early days, had some major quality problems, and they weren't selling uh, as, as well as everyone had hoped they would. So we had $2 billion of, of inventory of Performa computers that weren't selling and no money in the bank. And so I had to do uh, two, uh, two or three very, very important things. The first thing I had to do... Uh, was I killed the Performa brand name uh, and, and, and stopped the product because there was no way we were going to... It was so tarnished at that point, there was no way we were going we to rescue it. The second thing I did was I went out, and in, uh, in about a little over 90 days, I raised $660 million of new money, and I brought that into the company. That kept us going. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then what uh, I did was I directed Ellen to start a new project, um, which we called, I believe the code name was Columbia, but that ultimately became the iMac. And the iMac was born to replace the Performa. And so uh, those were the, that, that's what we did in those early days. So out of, out, of that, out, of, out of that trauma, you know, came some wonderful things. Now, you know, I emailed you for the first time roughly three years ago. And the reason I remember the date is because my wife was still pregnant then. <laughs> <laughs> know the age of your daughter. That's right. I better. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, one of the things that, because I had just got done reading your book for the first time, I was very tardy in reading it, which usually isn't like me, but in this case it was. I was just so busy for the previous few years. I finally got a chance to read it. um, And knowing what I did of Apple history up to that point, um, 
I've been writing MyMac.com for 11 years at this point, so um, I know the industry pretty well. And I had been arguing with a lot of other Mac writers, uh, even up to this day, that, yes, Steve Jobs gets a lot uh, and most of the credit for Apple's turnaround, but I always felt that it was the policies that you put into place and the changes that you made in those 500 days at Apple that really set the stage for maybe Steve getting a little of the credit that he really didn't deserve. And one of the things that I have always maintained was that the iMac project was started long before Steve Jobs returned to Apple. Oh, it started more than a year before he was was there. And that, that was something that I definitely wanted to clear up, definitely, because a lot of people point to the release of the iMac and the huge success that it had and continues to have as a testament to Steve Jobs' brilliance. However, that wasn't a project that he started. Well, you know, the, I think I think in, in in business, like in so many other walks of life, there's the you know there's the unvarnished truth, and then there's the mythology. Uh, and it's rare that the that the uh, you know that the unvarnished truth really comes out. I th- I would say only a handful of people who are very close to what was going on in the days I was there really were aware of how much of the foundation for Apple's future success we laid during during that uh, that time, including the, what, what became the ultimate famous white paper I wrote on, uh, here's how we need to rebuild Apple to be great. What is amazing to me is that virtually everything that I wrote in that paper has, has, has come to pass. We started some of it, but didn't get to implement nearly enough. But Steve, I think, who... Uh, uh, bought into most of the ideas I had in there, just continued to uh, develop those things. And one of the things I even predicted 10 years ago was that was that the Apple would ultimately move to the Intel platform, which is kind of interesting to see that that, uh, that just recently took place. Well, here's another one, and I don't know if anybody's uh, reminded you of this recently or not, especially in, uh, in what's going on in the world right now. On page 275 and 276 of your book, um, you wrote, I predict one day uh, Steve Jobs will conquer Hollywood as dramatically as he conquered Silicon Valley. Michael Eisner, watch out. Steve Jobs now has a new talent on his resume, displacing the CEO. The Walt Disney Company should uh, could be next. Uh, is your middle name Nostradamus, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 well, I, I, if, 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 I, I may not be good at a lot of things, but I've been pretty good at you know, predicting trends, and and that this one was pretty clear because because obviously I had gotten to know Steve very very well by working so closely with, him. and uh, you know you know it was it was just in my opinion it was it was just sort of reading the tea leaves uh, in a pretty easy way uh, as to as to what he his ambitions were. Well, you know, I could say that it has been uh, three years since I read your book, but obviously I picked it up this past weekend to re-familiarize myself with it before we spoke. And when I came across that, I about fell out of my chair. I went, wow, yeah. this, this is a person who should be giving stock tips or something. Cause <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> uh, I, 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 do, I, do, I, I do give you, you know, fun, fun talks. I, but, I, but if you want some prognostication... Uh, why don't I just volunteer uh, about a two-minute soliloquy on on uh, what I think is coming over the next ten years that you may find interesting, and 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 the world of technology in general. Now, I won't be specific to the Mac, um, 
and that is that uh, we are at a very unique period in, in, in technological history, and, and most people aren't even, aren't even tuned into it yet, but they will be soon. Um, I have two fundamental beliefs. One belief is that technology evolves in waves, not in a nice straight line, and I think we all would probably subscribe to that. And each decade seems to have its own wave. So way back in the 80s, we had the big wave was, of course, the rise of the personal computer. Uh, in the 90s, the big wave was the rise of the Internet. You know, okay, so what do we have today? The second belief I have is that changes in one area of technology ultimately ripple through and change other areas of technology. And again, here's an example. In the 1980s, while the PC was booming quietly in the background, the telcos were putting fiber in the ground uh, in the inner exchange backbone. Uh, and of course, if you're going to lay a cable, you might as well lay a big cable. Uh, and so there was enormous amounts of bandwidth uh, available that was dark. Well, when the internet came along 10 years later and they needed all of this, uh, all of this bandwidth, there it was already in the ground. So what happened? The internet doubled every 60 days for five years. And the reason it happened was because of that. So now let's, now let's ask the question about what's going on now. There's three very important uh, trends going on. What I call convergence. And what convergence means is the fact that with the rise of the Internet and the Internet protocol, everyone is now beginning to standardize on that as a, as a communications vehicle. So, so, for example, you see voice over IP or you see IPTV, and you're going to see more of that. But it's not just in the protocol that you're seeing convergence. It's also into the, in the, into the way that technologies are integrated. So analog and digital are coming together, and content and, and computing are coming together, and, and et cetera. There's, there's more and more of that, that going on. That's a, a huge, huge trend because it allows you to do things you never could do before. So that's, that's sort of big trend number one. Big trend number two is, as I think no one would disagree with, is mobile communications. You know, 10 years ago, you could uh, pick up your cell phone and make a voice call. Okay, that's cool. Today, look what you can do. You can do everything from taking pictures, sending pictures, uh, instant messages, email, and, and heaven knows what else. And, and with third generation rolling out and fourth generation coming next decade, you're going to be doing much, much, much more of that. So that's a biggie. And then third thing that's going on is in consumer electronics, where what you have is a, a switch from analog to digital television. Now, we've been on analog standard in television for 60-odd years. We're finally changing to digital. And, by the way, at the same time, we're changing from the old NTSC standard to the high def standard. This is an extremely disruptive change. It means you're basically going to have to replace the entire installed base of entertainment equipment out there from uh, DVDs and VCRs and TVs and camcorders and everything else. And so here we sit at the, at the, at the beginning, at, at the early stages of an era where we have three enormous upward trends uh, that, are, that, are, that are uplifting technology. Uh, and these and these three, it, it, it's, it's remarkable when you have any one of these going on, as we have typically in the past, to have three happening at the same time means that uh, for the next 10 years, you're going to see a, an explosion in technology and technology businesses 
that uh, is is unparalleled uh, with, uh, with with the excitement of the past. I think this this cycle will be bigger than any cycle that's come before, and uh, and it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to be in, involved in technology, whether you're involved in the hardware side or the software side or the communication side or the content side. Ultimately, it's going to be the integration of all four of those things that's going to lead to exciting new products. And I, so that's my prediction. I think you're already seeing a lot of that. I mean, this show right now that we're recording is a testament to the advances and the change in dichotomy when it comes to um, taking advantage of time shifting, time sharing. You know, we're, yeah, we're yeah, recording yeah, exactly. basically a, a radio program, except. It's not on radio waves, and it's something that people will download and listen to at their leisure rather than being force-fed to them. Right. And, you know, there's so much more choice out there, so I agree with you 100%.